Right now on Tech Radio, after this week's S23 launch, we're asking, is Samsung losing its touch? Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 955 this week, brought to you in association with PwC. A little later, we have a very interesting interview on the evolution of AI with their digital director, Pratyush Raj. We're also chatting about records being broken by chat GPT and how it may not be so good for homework and why AI is now being used in movie making by Netflix. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Let's start with our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, Samsung unpacked. Were you there? Were you watching? Were you just... I'm not I'm not the interesting person on this. You're the Samsung guy. I, I ought to be asking you that. Um, I didn't watch it. Uh, I've been keeping up with the coverage. Uh, did you watch it? I did. Uh, and, and at times I was wondering, is this an Apple event <laughs> or a Samsung <laughs> event? It's the same terminology. Um, what they announced, I mean, the two big things really were the phone and the, and, and the laptops. Okay, so here's the thing, uh, right? Um, the buzz is that the phones actually that aren't that interesting, that there's one or two no. little aesthetic things. They feel a bit nicer in the hand. Mm. Um, but the improvement is more, you know, it's kind of incremental, very similar to last year. Yeah. Uh, is that your impression? Very much so. Very much so. A little a little better processor. The battery lasted longer, maybe a little bit more memory. Did a, I mean, most of the time they were talking about uh, the Ultra. They've got a 6.8 inch uh, screen on the Ultra now, and it comes with a 200 megapixel camera. Now, last year's phone, okay, mm-hmm. the S22, the Ultra came with a 100 megapixel camera. <laughs> so they've doubled it. Okay, so so to to what end though? They were talking about who they have. Ridley Scott uh, was making a movie with it, and uh, you know, kind of, he was making a good point in some ways. He says he likes to shoot in very confined spaces, and mm. they got him to do stuff with the phone. And uh, he said he was he was very impressed with it. And I suppose, yeah, you could. You see, this is what I don't understand, right? Mm. All of these phones, the cameras are amazing. They really are just stunning cameras, okay? The problem is I use this stunning camera to take a picture of my car park space so I remember where I put the car. (laughs) What do I need 200 megapixels for that for? Do you know what I mean? There's a little bit of overkill. It's a A little little bit of of overkill. So, I I mean, if you were a creator or a movie maker or you were a photographer or a videographer or whatever, I mean, that as a camera would be amazing. But I think for the vast majority of people, it's like, whatever. (laughs) Do you know what it'll come down to? It'll come down to uh, when you're on your summer holidays and you take a picture of somebody and the sun is behind them. And with Mm. the camera technology today, it'll look better. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are always sort of certain benchmarks when it comes to camera quality. One is the quality of the zoom, um, because we always prefer optical over digital. But that seems to be getting much, 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 much better. Much Um, better. It's it's now up to 10 times optical zoom, which is like, I mean, that's... That's, to that's me, really, that, really good. Again, it's it's stunning, but when mm. will I use it? Uh, and I think one of the reasons why the pixel count is becoming more important is the idea of pixel binning. 
right? Uh, I don't know if you're too aware of this. So this is what pixel binning does. Mm. If you take a close-up shot of something with, say, an an 8 megapixel camera, right? So at a distance, so your image will be made up of 8 million pixels, but not all of them are going to be particularly good because the sensor on on the camera is being stretched, Mm. right? What pixel binning does with more pixels in your camera is basically it goes, okay, for every one pixel on that sort of crappy shot that you've just taken, we will take eight pixels and turn that into one pixel. And we'll get all the good information out of those eight pixels to turn it into one pixel. So an uh, an 800, for example, megapixel shot Mm -hmm. might come down to, you know, a rubbish eight megapixel shot could turn into a pretty good Mm -hmm. one megapixel shot without the level of noise or whatever. Do you see? Basically, it's compression. It's basically compression. Yes. I think that's interesting. Another thing they were talking about, the the megapixels, and again, it's what a lot of people do. We look at the photo on our phone and then we pinch to zoom in Mm -hmm. uh, and to look at the detail. And because the megapixel count is so much higher, you are able to see much more detail. But again, I'm thinking of the use and quite often, uh, the people who run our apartment complex, well, they'll have meetings and all this kind of stuff and they put the minutes of the meetings up in the foyer. All right. I'll just pass him by and I'm not going to read it there. I just take a photo of it so I can read it later. Mm. <laughs> so yep. now one of those phones will show up those notes brilliantly. And I'm kind of thinking, do I really want to spend 1500 quid yeah. on a phone with a camera Thank- that does this? Thank you, Genius Scan. <laughs> Great app. Big fan. Um, so uh, here's something that was quite interesting, though. Um Samsung basically uses two brands of processor. In the West, if you will, they use Snapdragon, uh, which we're all used to. Uh, And in sort of the East, the Far East, if you will, uh, and Africa, I think as well, they use um, an Exynos chip, Mm. which is their own silicon. Yes. Uh, They have now ditched Exynos, uh, which wasn't as good a performer as Snapdragon anyway. Mm -hmm. So they are all in on Qualcomm. Uh, so that was an interesting move. Uh, you also mentioned um, some of the storage, that the 128 gigabits, gigabyte storage is gone. Hmm. That there was, uh, which model was it that had that? Was it the, was it just, I, just the I, S22? I think it would have been the basic, yeah. Well, yeah. Basic would have well off 128. They, it's not so much that they've doubled the storage as they got rid of the basic model. Pretty much. So I, I, I would agree with you there. And they're, and they're doing all kinds of, they're advertising that now in a strange way. Because that's another interesting thing. The announcement was yesterday and today. Yeah. I mean, the ads and, and not only the ads, but the deals are everywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So kind of this new phone is, uh, the Ultra is, I was going to say 1500 quid. It's not, it's 1400 quid. 1409 to be exact with Vodafone, right? Right. Uh, but they're saying if you order it now, they will give you double storage. So you get 512 gigs as opposed to 256. And you'll get 150 euro cashback, bringing the price of the phone down to about 1250. Okay. I've, I've a theory as to why that is. Why? Um, Samsung have really been talking up the longevity of their phones. They expect people to buy one of these and not buy another phone for about three or four years. It's got, um, they have promised three full Android updates Mm. on this. So that's probably about four years worth of software. 
Um, they have also been talking up their green credentials, saying I think it's something like twenty two percent of the the corning glass on it has has come from recycled materials or something like that. Um, so they they really have been sort of pushing the green angle and sort of doing the we don't want you to update your phone every year, right? So all our phones are going to be quite expensive, but here's a little something back um, from your network operator who will thank us because it means that you will be stuck with them for at least three to four years <laughs> if you want to get the most out of your phone. It's kind of all the, all of those kind of deals are, are, are going on as well. But I just think it's it's interesting that they come out with, you know, kind of the new whatever this year's version of the phone. That, you know what? That sums up. That sums up. I think the laptop, which I'll tell you about in a second, and the phones, it's like, it's this year's version. And what do we always say about the, the uh, about tech? Never buy the odd number generation. Never, ever buy it because it's just generally no good or it's an incremental increase or whatever. Always go for the two or the four or the 22 or the 24, or whatever it happens to be. Here we are in S23 land and we're a little bit, Meh, yeah, well. You know, I tell whatever. you, the way they want you to buy stuff, you mm. should be looking at the S26 or the S28. No, I can't because wait. the longevity that, that, that they expect <laughs> I, you to I, have. I can't wait that long for a new phone. <laughs> Dear God. Anyway, pricing. Uh, the Ultra is 1409. Uh, the Plus is 1169. And the, I'm, I'm just going to call it the small. Small. The, <laughs> the regular. Small, the regular phone is uh, 879 uh, euro. If you order in the next day or two or whatever, the next week or so, uh, you know, you get more storage, you get cash back on the phone, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Let me uh, tell you about the book three, because mm-hmm. you know that I bought. And I don't know why I'm holding it up to the microphone to say I bought it to say. <laughs> well, it is a nice piece I, of care. And I, we talked it, about it last year at length. It's a lovely bit of kit. All right. So now the book three was out. And again, this is following our little rule of do you buy the book three or do you buy the book two or the odd? Never buy the odd ones, always buy the even one. And I think it's true here as well. All right. Um. The Book 3 Pro is, I I have the Book 2 and Mm. I love it, okay, because it weighs 890 grams, Mm. all right? And this was the whole thing in that it was like 300 grams lighter, significantly lighter than the MacBook Air, all right? Mm. It's really thin, it's really light and in my bag, it just doesn't feel like it's there when I'm walking down the, uh, uh, the road, okay? Um... So anyway, the book three is out this year and I was disappointed and I'll tell you why, right? Uh, nice bump up in, in, in the processor. So we're on 13th gen now. It's i7 or i9 if you're going for the ultra, ultra, ultra. Uh, it can handle up to 32 gigs of RAM, which is great. It can you can handle a, a one terabyte SSD if you want to pay all that extra cash for, right? Here's the thing. I've got, I think it's a 13 inch uh, is my one. Mm-hmm. The basic book three pro now comes as a 14 inch, slightly bigger as well as a 16-inch model, all right? Uh, and the 16-inch model is 1.5 kilograms. Well, you know you know who they're going for with that kind of kit. Who? They, they have looked at the MacBook Pro and went, give me some of that action. Do you know, I had thought about the MacBook Pro, right? And I went, you know, if I'm going to, with the, with the Ultra, which is the big one, and it's in around two, uh, two kilograms, and it is heavy and expensive and about two and a half grand. If I was a creator, there's no way I would spend that kind of money with Samsung. 
I would spend it with Apple because Apple are the creator's platform, if you like, and they've got mm-hmm. the M2 processor in it and it's all designed and they talk about creators all the time. The Book 3 Ultra is a bit... I thought they were spinning it more towards gamers, actually, than they were creators. Oh, okay. However, the big change, the big change on the, all of the laptops is they've gone from a 16.9 aspect ratio, all right, which a lot of people didn't like, to 16.10. So basically kind of last year, it was like a more widescreen that we'd be used to. This year, it's more like a, a Mac shaped or a regular laptop Dell mm. XPS or a shape, shaped screen. The difference is that some people like it because it's taller. The 1610 is taller and you can see more of your documents in it. Mm. I actually kind of like the 16.9 because it's a little bit wider and I like putting documents beside each other. Yeah. So I'll have a web browser open on my right-hand side and I'll have a, a Word document on my left-hand side or whatever it happens to be. Um, so that was, but I, I will go with the 1610. I, 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 think that's, I think that's a good move. It's the one good thing that they did do. Um, on the bad side of things with the Book Pro 360, that's the one that will turn all the way around. Uh, and also with the Ultra, which is their high-end, 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 only available in 16-inch. Can't get a 14-inch. Mm. And they're mm. heavy. They're 1.7K for the uh, Book Pro and it's 1.8K for the Ultra. So mm. that I've got the, whatever, the, the Book 2 from last year. Okay, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I use it for uh, typing and, you know, my general, it's my out and about. I'm doing email, I'm doing the web, I'm writing documents, that kind of stuff. I don't do video mm. editing or, or any of that kind of stuff on it, right? Uh, I love the fact that it is the weight that it is. If I was to get the Book 3 Ultra, I would be carrying around an extra kilogram, a full Mm. extra kilogram of computer with me. No, no Mm. thanks. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I am with uh, Samsung. So are are they losing their touch? I was kind of saying it just at the top of the show. Um, Maybe they're not, but it was far from inspiring. Well, I tell you, uh, on the subject, far from inspiring, their last one uh, an announcement was that they are doing some sort of extended reality platform mm-hmm. uh, with Google and Qualcomm. And that's pretty much all they'd say about it. They were like, yes, we're getting into the metaverse or equivalent <laughs> with our own platform. And we're working with Google and Snapdragon. Yes, indeed. Qualcomm. Because, yeah, they, they want to lose money like Facebook is. Hand over fist yeah. on the metaverse. Yeah. Anyway, listen, let's get away from uh, Samsung yeah. and talk about some of the other stories of the week. This is Tech Radio. So the other big one, of course, our, our feature interview today is going to be talking about AI and lots happening in AI news as well. Chat GPT is taking the world by storm. And now we actually have numbers to demonstrate how fast it's growing. Reveal all, Niall Kitson. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the fastest growing platform in the history of, of, of technology, basically. Um, uh, when the public beta was released, it got 1 million users in a week. Um, Netflix took three and a half years to get that. Two Ouch. years for uh, Twitter. Facebook took 10 months. It's uh, Sorry, wow. 100 million in two months. Think about that. 100 million users in two months. It's insane, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah, 100, uh, 1 million users a week. I mean, you, you look at the other services that, that we take for granted now, they took a lot longer to get there. Mm. Um, so what do you do? I mean, what, what do you do? You've got a platform that is so popular that is being used by so many people yeah. uh, for so many uses. Um, it's going to push an inevitable 
uh, strain on the service. I mean, bear in mind also, I mean, Microsoft have plunged more than 10 billion into OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT. Mm. Investing huge, bigly, investing bigly uh, on it. So, <laughs> so listen, they've got a, a hundred million users. Yep. In two okay. months. Uh, and you're asking what will they do with it? Because they've announced that they are going to do a premium version. So you'll have better access and faster access and it'll work harder for you, blah, 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 blah. And it'll turn out results much faster, faster for $20 a month for the premium version. Now, they haven't said when they're introducing it or the exact but it'll work bigger, better, faster, harder for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if 100 million, all right, if 1 million uh, of those people, just 1% were to actually take up the premium version, that's a million people, uh, by $20 a pop, that's 20 million a month. Yeah. All right. And 20 million a month by 12 is 240 million a year. It's not great when you think about it, is it? Do you know what? It's not. <laughs> because I was looking at some really interesting numbers with Spotify, which we get to uh, in a few minutes' time. But listen, that's 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 what they think. they they'll come up with something much better than that. Well, I mean, I, if it, it will also filter out an awful lot of the nonsense on the platform as well. Because as we were talking last week, I think all the information that's in there is current up to 2021. So there's there's a big information gap there. Like, uh, you know, anyone who works in the sciences or, or in the arts, yeah. you know, there's constant debates and yeah. there's constantly new things being discovered and things being discredited and discounted. Um, you know, there's lots of really good reasons why you should not be relying on this for... Uh, writing an entire paper yeah, uh, yeah. on something. Uh, that is not stopping people from from doing so, however. And this is one of the things I keep hearing is that, you know, kids, uh, people in college and also in secondary school are using chat GPT and they're kind of going to give me a 500 word essay or a blah, 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 or a synopsis on, and they're submitting that. Um, and and that's this is a big worry for educators until now. Well, I mean, it's still going to be a big worry for for educators. OpenAI have actually released a tool. Um, they basically said, "Okay, we, we understand this is a this is a problem, so we're going to release something, and we're we're going to see." So, I mean, option one uh, when you think about things would be, um, "Okay, ChatGPT um, outputs are going to come with a watermark." That would that would make sense, you know. That would be fairly easily done. Uh, however, for the moment, what they've done is they've released a tool uh, looking at AI written English texts, texts specifically, right? So they ran it, but they found that it was only twenty six percent effective in identifying AI written English texts. But it also incorrectly labeled texts as AI nine percent of the time. All right. Okay. So the so it's not it's not perfect, but it's, it's far from it. But it's moving that fast. Okay. You know, kind of when Facebook. A friend of mine in Australia actually found a blog post he did in two thousand six, mm-hmm. and he said, "Read this for a giggle." So I went off and had a read. He was going on about how wonderful Facebook was and how professional. And they asked me for yeah. this, and uh, it's great. And and uh, like when you look back at it now, like you're giggling, like, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think ChatGPT, Ch- as you said, like, I mean, it's going through phenomenal growth. It's growing faster than anything has before because the internet is so common these days. Uh, and and we're literally just st- 
struggling to see uh, what's going to happen. And actually, that's one of the interesting things about ChatGPT in that it had been around and they had been asking people with and scientists within the community and other people within the community to test it and to use it. And they were kind of going, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's this, that, and the other. Nobody was getting excited about it. And then somebody said, let's release it to the public and see what happens. Boom! <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? I mean, this this has serious problems because, hmm. well, not least for Google, because their entire business model is predicated on the idea of, okay, I want to know something. Well, here's all the all the places you can learn about it. Yeah, ChatGPT yeah. is. I want to know something. There you go. Googling out this year is going to be very interesting. Yeah, as they battle back against this ChatGPT, but it, it's everywhere. They're calling everything AI. I'm just waiting for somebody to release a word processor and to call it artificial intelligence for some reason. It knows how to spell the words. Wow. Um, it's, it's everywhere. Netflix are using a, um, AI now uh, in movies. Now, I only saw the headline. There's something to do with Netflix using AI in movies. What are they up okay, to? Okay, yeah. Okay, well, for, first of all, let's, let's not panic. Um, basically, there is a three-minute short film that uh, has been released to Netflix. And it's, it's mm. done by, um, let's see, it's a Japanese piece of animation. And let me just look up the name of the cartoon here because it's super simple. And it's basically a three minute short. Uh, and uh, basically what they're saying is we didn't have enough people to fully produce the film that we wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. So we used an AI to generate some of the background art. So uh, the, the short film is called Dog and Boy. Again, it's, it's three minutes long. They used an AI to do the backgrounds, not the mm. actual sort of characters in the foreground, but the backgrounds. Um, and uh, in the credits, sort of uh, some of the animation is credited to AI brackets plus human. Right. So, you know, they're very upfront about it. Um, and of course, this has caused a, a bit of a storm in the animation community because there are people going, what do you mean? Like there's loads of people available to do work. Mm. This is absolutely ridiculous. Now, basically, you know, Netflix trying to save a bit of money, trying trying a little bit of anime, see what they can do. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced either by, I'm not convinced by their argument. I think what they're trying is something really interesting because there was that film with Ryan Reynolds, uh, Red Notice. And it was him, Gal Gadot and The Rock. Yes. And do you remember it? It was I like, a, and it came out and it got a very lukewarm reception. And I looked at it and it was like an SEO exercise. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, who's pretty bankable at the moment based on what people have been watching on our platform? Yeah. And okay, the Bourne films were pretty popular. Let's put together something a little bit jokey in that in that manner. And let's put it all together and, and you know, hey, presto, we've got a movie. Um, that's exactly what it felt like. And it's it got fairly lukewarm reviews. It's got like a 6.3 on, on um, uh, IMDb. So I guess there's worse ways to spend an evening. But I mean, it's just a very soulless piece of entertainment. So um, not, they, are, are you trying to reveal exclusively on the Tech Radio podcast that that entire movie was written by ChatGPT? Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Actually, years ago, years ago, there was a film called Morgan and its trailer 
was put together by an AI. Um, I think it was Watson AI did it, uh, which is IBM's. And but for the fact that the film was atrocious, Mm. I think it might have been a more successful experiment. There's also, I heard, I haven't seen it. I don't think I want to see it after hearing about it. There's an AI generated Seinfeld. Oh God. Somebody, somebody's kind of done cartoon versions of, of of the characters and the AI is coming up with the script and uh, an AI is generating the images. Now it's meant to be <laughs> pretty awful. All well, right. But do you know I, what? I think somebody has it running on Twitch and it's just, it's there constantly 24 seven and the AI is just making it up as it goes along. It's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. But you know what? If there was one show that actually would be interesting as an AI <laughs> subject, it is Seinfeld because so much of it is stylized that mm. it's instantly recognizable. It's like all the way down to the very first scene in the very first episode. It's like somebody says something, the other character responds back with the exact same line. And then they say it again and they just change the intonation as it goes. Mm. Um uh, yeah, I'd watch that. I'd be interested. <laughs> oh dear God, no. Your standards are just slipping on a daily basis. <laughs> Listen, uh, let, let's let's wrap up uh, because we're running out of time and I want to get into the uh, the interview for this week. Uh, we've got more job cuts, uh, particularly in tech. Uh, 2023 is not going to be a great year. Uh, PayPal, how many gone? Yeah, uh, 2,000 jobs gone in PayPal. That's 7% mm-hmm. of the workforce. We've got to jump over to uh, to another one as well. Spotify mm. uh, are laying off 600 people, uh, which is uh, about 6% of their workforce. Right. So uh, and these these companies are not stuck. They're not stuck for profit, but they, they are, I got, you know, inverted commas, right-sizing for the new economic reality. Yeah. Um, but there you go. The um, the tech apocalypse continues. Well, listen, let me let me wrap up our news segment uh, with a little story on Spotify um, because I was reading that they turned over, they're talking about their uh, 12 billion, I think they turned over or something. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, that's amazing. I mean, you've got Spotify and then you've got all the fang companies of Facebook and Apple and Amazon and stuff like that. I wonder how Spotify's 12 billion compares to uh, Apple or where does it put them on the top 100 companies so I look up the top 100 companies and Apple is there and Amazon is there and Walmart is there at the top and blah 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 I'm looking down and then I get a link that says next 100 oh okay (laughs) all right so I click that and no sign of Spotify next 100 no sign of blah 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 blah. I eventually had to go down and do you know where in the top 1000 companies in the world Spotify was where at number 1,394. Well, that's Not even in the top 1,000 companies. For the, a company that occupies so much headspace for us. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And, and they're way down there. They're like, they're yeah. a child. They're a child. It's, uh, it's unreal. Anyway, listen, Nile, thank you as always uh, for bringing us up to date with what's happening in the news this week. Of course, we get the latest stories and all the feeds uh, with the latest news for you on our website at techcentral.ie. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. We've spoken about the popularity of ChatGPT today, but where is AI going and how do we get here in the first place? Pratyush Raj is Digital Director with PwC Advisory and he had a chat with Niall Kitson during the week about the four generations of AI and why ChatGPT is more than just a tool, it's actually a new frontier. 
So our understanding of AI has changed an awful lot, even just over the last five or 10 years. Uh, so let's have a, a potted history, if you will, of where we are and kind of how we got to be there. Because our first experiences with AI, it's fairly basic stuff, really. And if you're familiar with Microsoft Office, that's probably your first experience of it. That's true, Niall. Thank you for having me. Like, it's a very interesting topic that we are talking about today. See, like on, like when you look at the spectrum of the automation, like I would broadly categorize into four different, you know, generations. The generation one, as you pointed out, like we started off with Microsoft Office products. We were doing a little bit of macros. We are creating a little bit of scripts. Uh, so basically, we call that like as the first level of automation that we saw. Then as industry became more, more mature, we moved on to the usage of robotics. So a very popular you know, tool today for automation is called as robotics or process automation. And that's where like people are using software robots to automate the repetitive, mundane, you know, less cognitive kind of tasks. Um, an example would be, let's say, if you are a stock market analyst, you go on every morning, you have to download the stocks of, let's say, 1,000 companies. You don't need to do that manually today. Basically, a software robot, you can schedule it to run 2 a.m. in the morning. By the time you have your coffee, 8 a.m. on the desk, you'll have all the, those reports generated for you. So that's your second generation of automation, which is right now becoming very prominent. It's slightly moving towards you know, the third layer, which is more of cognitive solutions. So the guys are combining the other automation technologies, let's say the chatbots or, you know, intelligent data analytics tools uh, to build some cognitive solutions. Uh, for example, let's say if you have to build a predictive model um, to understand where should I open a shop um, as a retailer, you know, you can build those models. So that's the third layer. And fourth is what you you must be hearing a lot about today is the AI. And again, it has multiple layers. You have the deep learning and machine learning parts of it. You have the natural language processing. And then finally, like the one topic that probably is very much on top of minds of everyone is the generative AI. So that's the broad spectrum. You started with a very basic automation. You went on to use like robotics. Then you built more tools on top of robotics to like to you know call it as hyper automation so you hyper automated some of these and then we are moving to ai one of the things that we often hear is uh, of course the old adage of necessity being the the mother of invention so i imagine there were some applications along the way that uh, kind of drove forward or asked questions that pushed automation and AI to the to the next level. What kind of applications in any sector really have you found to be particularly innovative or kind of landmarks along the way to getting to those next stages? Okay, that's a good question, I'll see like you've like think about any sector, let's say for example, healthcare. Um, like we've been through this pandemic where, for example, like people were waiting to get into the hospitals, they were waiting to get appointments in and so on. Like technologies like AI and automation, they allow you to book such kind of appointments easily. 
um, if I go and take another example, think about um, like your old days when you used to go and take a mortgage. You'll go in into a bank. They'll hand you off a set of like documents. It might be like a 20-page brochure that they'll give you and ask you to fill that and send it back to them. And imagine you're filling that, those 20 pages, you miss a signature and you send it to the bank. After 10 days, they'll send the whole booklet back to you. So you can see like historically, um, the processes or, you know, any kind of experiences um, that the companies have been offering, they were very manual, they were very broken, and they saw the need to make sure like they could deliver these services in a more efficient way so that they could deliver like faster, cheaper, and better services to the customers. Now, the same is true for experiences as well. So for example, if you think about, um, let's say, accessibility to services, um, and example I would take is people who are living in remote places, if they have to, for example, get access to healthcare services, it's not that easy. It, it wasn't that easy, sorry, in, in earlier times. But now because it has um, a layer of, you know, these digital and automation technologies that allows you to get a remote diagnosis in. Like you can be sitting here in Ireland and let's say you need a doctor at 10 p.m. You can probably get a doctor sitting in the U.S. or in the other part of the world easily who can do a remote diagnostic. Um, so things like these have actually helped, um, you know, AI to push the you know the boundaries a lot yeah the the example from healthcare there is very kind of prescient when we're looking at the pressure that our healthcare systems are under and in the past where you had very large countries with you know a, a stretched healthcare system as it was where things like telemedicine were an absolute game changer do you see ai as being you know, that first point of contact before the referral, as opposed to, you know, waiting for a doctor to become free for uh, a telemedicine session. See, I don't think uh, like we should consider it as what will be the first point of contact. It will all depend on the demand and supply, I'd say. See, for example, if you have only five GPs in a region and you want to get access to those, if they are fully booked out for next few days, like, I'd say you'll have a hard time um, getting, you know, another doctor or uh, getting attended to. So at that point in time, maybe the first point of contact will be an AI-driven bot, which essentially connects you to a different doctor. Um, I'll give you another example. Like, um, so let's say like during pandemic, for example, we saw a lot of people were calling into the contact centers um, and suddenly you realize that contact centers were also half shut down or completely shut down because people couldn't come in. At that moment, like you would have to wait on the line for two hours to speak to a person. Imagine the same being applied to a healthcare sector. If you need to get an appointment and if you have to wait for two hours to get to a doctor, um, that's not a great experience. Not only it's not a great experience, but it, it is actually like it's worrisome that you can't get attended to. Instead of that, like some things that we've built, for example, for our clients, you you go on to the contact center number, you you hit 
a message saying our wait time is two hours. Um, but if you would like to chat to a chatbot or an AI driven bot, please press one. You press one, you immediately get a message. You click on that message uh, on your phone and it opens a chatbot. So basically, using a chatbot, you can schedule an appointment. You can also find appointments. You can book appointments. You can also make sure, like any of the you know previous medication or documentation that you want to send to that doctor, it can be uploaded easily. So that's how like it'll be more of demand and supply. But one of the issues that I think people have when it comes to AI is that is is the the updating of data. I mean, when you're looking at something like okay, well update our system at the end of the day. That very much works with, I guess, the uh, the last few generations of AI where the models, they don't have to be particularly reactive, I suppose. Um, we're seeing a movement towards data being updated in real time, uh, in particular in certain industries. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how that's happening? That's true. Uh, we So I'll give you a few examples as well. So like fraud detection is a one big use case where real-time data is being pulled uh, from a customer profile, being applied to models, and immediately like a next best action is shared um, with the customers. So they're like, and again, like we are saying AI, but there are tools which fall into a spectrum before AI. Let's say there are RPA tools or robotics process automation tools, which essentially as soon as you're having a conversation in the background, it captures all the data, it uploads all their data to a system, let's say a customer relationship management system. Um, and from there, an agent, while having a conversation with you, you know, he or she can actually see what are the next best actions uh, listed over there based on this current conversation and the history. So immediately the robots in the background, they update the systems, they look at your profile history, and they are able to make recommendations. If it is a healthcare one, they can say, by the way, these are the three things that you should advise to this uh, you know, patient. If it is, uh, let's say, a retail customer, it can give you a ne next best action in terms of actually cross-sell or upsell this. So I imagine, uh, and you mentioned healthcare, uh, that there are other industries as well that would really benefit from that sort of real-time updating. Um I think in conversations before, the insurance industry seems to be a, a pretty good beneficiary of this sort of thing, specifically when you're looking to give people quotes. And I, I suppose uh, maybe if an accident is happening, that there's some way to track what's actually happening to, to the customer and then use that to generate or to inform, uh, say, quotes down the line. Yeah, absolutely. So in the insurance industry as well, like let's like you can like you have enough examples which are tactical enough. Let's say, for example, if you have to file for a claim, gone are those days where you file a claim and you have to wait for a month to hear back uh, if it is approved or not. There are so many applications these days where like you just take a picture of your claim, punch it on a mobile app and off it goes and immediately within a few seconds or minutes, you get an approval or a denial or it asks you for the next steps immediately. So that's more of tactical. Similarly, like the other example would be the from an em employee perspective, 
let's say you're receiving all these quotes and claims over and over again, and you have to process 20 a day. So instead of, you know, looking at that image that you received from a customer of the, you know, of the invoice or let's say of the uh, GP, uh, you know, bill, there are technologies that extract data from those images and they can punch it in into the systems. So your employees, instead of doing 20 in a day, like manually, you know, uh, extracting all their data, they immediately get all that data extracted into the systems in an, in an automated way. And, um, you know, they can focus more on the relationship management aspects of it. And the example that you gave um, on the insurance, um, like, for example, a customer hits an accident, that's very much being used, um, like applying the predictive analytics methodologies and tools. Like you can actually see when you you have to refresh a claim or you need to, you know, um, you need to give a quote to the customer. There are predictive models that actually uh, understand the driving patterns of uh, a new driver or the you know the behaviors of of the driver in traffic and accordingly they can adjust the code if they find for example a driver is risky your your quotation will go up that's really fascinating that there there is that element of uh, uh assessing somebody's driving style uh when, when they're not looking uh i suppose I suppose the the meat of the matter uh, at the moment is sort of generative AI, its applications in you know in academia, in art, uh, and its misapplication. I suppose by trying to, to have people pass off uh, work that has been generated by an AI by an AI as uh, as their own. Where do you sit on this debate? Is ChatGTP just the next tool, or is it sort of a, a new frontier in AI? Oh, I, I am with the latter. I think it is a new frontier in the a, um, AI bit. See, ChatGPT is one of the generative AI tools. So when we say generative AI tools, basically, like you can use the AI technology to generate any kind of content. It can be text, it can be images, it can be even writing code. Giving By giving a very basic set of instructions, like, in a natural language like for example i can ask chat gpt today to just say you know what write a poem for me and here is a context um or write a code for me for a mobile app that i want to create it's just phenomenal now like obviously excess of everything is bad and right now where it is um, it needs a lot of moderation and regulation um so it's a great tool but it needs a lot of work in the background before it is safe and secure to use. I think there is a false sense of security with it at the moment because when it looks to the data set that ChatGPT is based on, uh, it's not current and it's it's not regularly uh, updated at the moment. It doesn't have that real-time update. So do you, do you think there is that danger of people falling back on information that is maybe outdated or discredited? Absolutely. Absolutely. And see, that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort as well, to be honest. And I'll explain why. See, the generative models that we have currently uh, are based on uh, the data 
that is being fed into a machine, okay, that's up to a certain period of time. So essentially, it's a great, you know, it, it is a very smart, intelligent tool, but all of that is driven by a set of data sitting behind it. And uh, you you pointed out, right, like, obviously, the content of that will be outdated, um, you will get the wrong answers. And that's, as I said, that's what gives me relief, because as soon as that doesn't happen, if it works with the real data, if it can have, uh, you know, natural conversations, it becomes, it, it, it brings it closer to singularity. And singularity is where, you know, like, the AI can start having uh, conversations like a real human being. So there is not a much, lot of difference between a human being and AI. So yes, you're right. The content is based on trained data. It gives, it can give you incorrect information, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that gives me comfort for some reason. Raising the point of the singularity there, do you think chat GDP uh, is sort of um, uh an example of how we're getting closer to to um, the singularity or the flaws in our concept of what the singularity is, that it might necessarily be um, something that thinks like a person, but something that, you know, is a, a universal resource and that may be a, a different form of intelligence. I believe it is the first step or like first few steps towards the, the singularity um, the concept of singularity. Now, like chat GPT, for example, like it's a great tool, it's generative AI and all that. But when you start using it, like I've been using it for last like two weeks, it's just amazing. Like the answers it gives, the context it carries and the way, you know, um, like it doesn't look very scripted when you look at the answers. But there is a lot of, you know, as you pointed out, incorrect data in there. There is a lot of bias in there that I've seen. Um, so as this technology evolves and as soon as we start addressing these challenges, I think it will move towards singularity. It will. Uh, I hope that it doesn't happen in my lifetime because I'm, I'm very scared of that. But it is the first step. It's the big, big step towards the, the concept of singularity. I call it like more of a CHAI, conscious or humanized AI. And that's what I'm afraid of. And that was Nal Kitson chatting with Pratyush Raj, Digital Director with PwC Advisory. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Of course, we've got more stories that we didn't have time to include on the podcast, including Intel's plan to cut wages, but not jobs yet. And also a study by Gartner, which is good news for tech workers who haven't been let go yet. Uh, you get all the details on our website at techcentral.ie along with newsletters you can stand up for with hourly and daily news updates. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra or you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Until next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Nile Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.